0: This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. Well... Here we are again. I suppose it was inevitable. Lockdown again in England. I appreciate that this podcast does have listeners all around the world. So hopefully wherever you are, you find yourself in a slightly better situation. I managed to get a haircut in at the last minute. So every cloud and all that. Anyway, my name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England supporters podcast. Back in March time, when all this began, lockdown that is, I was fortunate enough to have a decent amount of recordings to put out when we had no games to look forward to. Fortunately, this time around, we've got three games coming up. So this is the preview episode. And as always, I'll be speaking with various people about those matches. And it also means that we'll have a review episode in a couple of weeks' time. And I already have a couple of others ready to release. So hopefully this podcast and the future ones will bring, I don't know, 40, 45 odd minutes worth of distraction a week. I got some nice messages first time around with words to that effect, which made the effort I put into them all worthwhile. So hopefully these will be the same. Now, likewise, I had some nice messages for the recent episodes that came out. The Steve Ochko one, New Zealand, and the News Roundup one, where I spoke with England futsal player Doug Reed. Now that was the one about our own FA, not only stopping their funding, but stopping them from participating in their Euro qualifier against North Macedonia. They should have already played it by now, but no, nope, they weren't allowed to. They've been royally stitched up there. Now all those episodes and all the previous ones are available at 3 or your regular podcast provider. Now, this international break is our last for the year. And last, I believe, until March of next year, when we'll start our World Cup qualifying. Although, at the moment, we don't know who we'll be facing or, indeed, whether we'll even be able to attend. And I know I mentioned on the last episode that the draw is scheduled for the 7th of December. And we'll cover that more once we know a little more about it. So coming up on this episode, Gareth Southgate has announced his latest squad for those three games we have. Starting with the friendly against the Republic of Ireland on the 12th, Belgium away on the 15th and Iceland at home on the 18th. Of course Belgium and Iceland are our final Nations League matches. And in amongst all those dates is the 14th of November, which a year ago was the last time we played at home in front of a crowd. Our 1,000th game, that 7-0 win over Montenegro. Who would have thought a year on we'd be in this situation? Of course, Covid has messed with a lot of things over this past year, football-wise. We were originally scheduled to play Belgium away on the 12th. Then that was changed to New Zealand, then to the Republic of Ireland. Belgium was then shuffled to the 15th and it was due to be played in Brussels, a game that we were all looking forward to, having not been to Belgium for such a long time. However, that has now been changed to a ground called the Den Dref in the nearby town of Leuven. I think that's how you pronounce it, L-E-U-V-E-N. This is because Brussels is in a state of lockdown with a 10pm curfew. Leuven is a short distance away from Brussels and apparently their curfew is midnight until 5am. And I know it's only a short journey as it's one I made last year by train when I went to watch the Lionesses play in a thrill draw against Belgium. Obviously, it is behind closed doors which is a good thing as when I did go they struggled to get the 200 odd away fans through the turnstiles for whatever reason they just wouldn't open. Well, they had some idiot man in them. It was a little bit chaotic. The ground is home to Oud-Herveli-Leuven, a top-flight Belgian side. The ground is a 10,000-capacity one. It's a bit like a lower-league English ground, nice and square. Behind the goals, they're both seated, although the end I was at was I felt a little bit sort of scaffoldy, if you get my drift. Uh, the two side stands are both two-tiered, but they're not exceptionally big. Uh, And between the stands, they've got executive boxes running between each tier. But all those stands, well, they're close to the pitch and a couple of scoreboards in each corner and the floodlights looming above. Nice little ground. It's a ground that the Belgian FA have regularly used for their under-21 teams. And as I say, their women's teams. Hopefully our men's senior team won't feel too out of place there. Now, before we look at the latest squad, let's just catch up with the Nations League group as it stands at the moment. It is pretty tight. We were top after beating Belgium at home. Then losing to Denmark put us down to third. Belgium are currently on nine points, top. Denmark are ahead of us, although we are both on seven. And Iceland yet to register a win. Bottom with no points. It is in our own hands, though. Beat Belgium away and Iceland at home, we can go through. Top with 13 points. Although I'm sure Denmark are feeling the same. Worth pointing out that in all the top groups, all nations have played four games. And in those other groups, just to keep you up to speed, Poland are top of Group 1, ahead of Italy and the Netherlands. Any one of them could progress. Although Bosnia and Herzegovina look like they're for the drop. Group 3 is a fight between Portugal and France, who are both on 10 points, and they face each other on the 14th, likely to be winner-takes-all, that one. Croatia and Sweden currently occupy third and fourth, and Group 4 is tight. Spain, currently on seven points, ahead of Germany and Ukraine, both on six. And I think wasn't it only last month that Germany picked up their first ever win in the Nations League. Amazing little stat, that one. Uh, And Switzerland are fourth there, and they're looking vulnerable. Now let's have a look at that latest squad, one which manager Gareth Southgate announced on the 5th of November. I guess this is where I should mention some sort of firework-related cliché here. No. Uh, if I'm honest, there were no real surprises and in a way I'm quite happy with that. Past few international breaks, Gareth has brought in a fair amount of new faces and I think it's good to see some sort of stability. Now, the only uncapped player is keeper Dean Henderson but he's been part of the setup for some time now. And who knows, perhaps he'll get his chance during this window. There are a few absentees for various reasons. They include Danny Ings and Calvin Phillips of Southampton and Leeds, respectively. They're both injured. Uh, Phil Foden has been recalled, but no such luck for Marcus Greenwood, who was involved in that same incident. No need to cover old ground on that one. And of course we had a couple of send off in that Denmark game, the last one. Uh, ramifications are, well Harry Maguire is a one-match ban and that is a one-match Nations League suspension. So he misses Belgium and Rhys James misses two of those games. So I guess it's highly likely we'll see him against Ireland. So let's quickly roll through those 29 names in our usual fashion. So goalkeepers, we've got three, Dean Henderson, Jordan Pickford and Nick Pope. Defenders, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ben Chilwell, Connor Cody, Eric Dyer, Joe Gomez, Rhys James, Michael Keane, Harry Maguire, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Tyro Mings, Bayako Saka, Kieran Trippier, Kyle Walker. Midfielders, Phil Foden, Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount, Declan Rice, James Ward-Prowse and Harry Winks. And Gareth Strikers, Tammy Abraham, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho and Raheem Sterling. It is a squad with 496 caps, 71 goals and an average age of 244 And the represented teams, uh, well, they include Chelsea, who have got four players in it, Manchester United, three, Everton, three, Liverpool and Tottenham, both have three, as do Manchester City. Arsenal Villa, well, they've got two each, Borussia Dortmund, uh, one, of course, Jadon Sancho, Atletico Madrid, Kieran Trippier is the one, Burnley, one, Wolves, one, West Ham, one and Southampton, one. Now, as I've mentioned, our first game is against the Republic of Ireland, who we last played back in 2015 in Dublin at the Aviva. Don't think we'll dwell too much on that one for too long. Uh, but I'd like to welcome Joe McCarthy from the Irish Football Fans podcast, which can be found on on all the usual podcast platforms. Joe, hello there. How are you doing, Russell? Thanks all for having good. me on. No, all, all good. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining me.
2: You all right? Yeah, pretty good. Just working from home and. Um... Will be until January by the looks of things. Well, I think plenty of people know exactly how you feel. Uh,
1: whereabouts in Ireland are we talking to you from?
2: Uh, I'm just outside Dublin. Uh, if you know Dunleer, I'm just straight south of Dunleer. Ah, I see. Okay.
1: Um, and you so say you're from the the Irish Football Fans Podcast. How long has that been going for?
2: What, what's the deal with that? So it's been going a little under a year. Started with myself and a friend of mine. Mark Kennedy, who runs the Hawkeye Sidekick blog. We've always kind of said, you know, maybe we should have a podcast where we could just talk about football because that's all we really do when we meet up is talk about football. So when lockdown came in, we decided you know, maybe we should have a go at this. Uh, Mark lives in Galway, so he's the other side of the country to me. Obviously, we were ne- with lockdown, we were never going to be able to meet up. Uh, so we just started talking about the last... Ten years in international football and our experiences of following the team uh, to to France, to Poland, and it went from there. So when international football returned, yeah, we just kept kept it up. They're huh. talking about the squads and they're announced, and uh, our reactions to the games uh, after they've been played. Oh, pretty much what uh, what I do here with the Three Lions podcast, and are you a regular like the
1: Aviva and, and following Ireland around?
2: Yeah, I would be. Aviva Stadium is about. Half an hour uh on the the Dart. That's the the light rail system here in Dublin for me, from pretty much exactly where I live. um So it's handy for me to get to, and it's it's rare that I'd miss a home game. I don't get to too many away games, but I think the last home game I missed was. Ooh, I'm not actually sure when the last home game <laughs> well, I missed was. You
1: sound dedicated, anyway. Yeah, thanks. I mean, if had the uh, had this game not have been behind closed doors, would you've made the trip over?
2: I think I would. I was at the the friendly in twenty fourteen, uh, the one all game uh, in Wembley, mm. um, and uh, I've been to see Ireland play a few times in London. Obviously, flights between Dublin and London are fairly cheap and fairly regular, and you know it's easy enough to get hotel rooms. Uh, so I, I think I probably would have gone over for it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, let's say we've uh, we've met a few times over the uh, over the last few years, but we haven't sort of met competitively since '91, which was a European Championships qualifier, and that was kind of the the last of a run of competitive games that went back to like the the 88 European championships we had the the Italian 90 game um and we've met 16 times in the past we've won England have won five there's been eight draws there's been two wins for Ireland uh although I guess I have to mention one of those obviously was the abandoned one back in 95 another game we uh, we didn't spend too much time on but uh yeah those games back in sort of late 80s and, and Italian 90 do you remember those ones?
2: I can tell you exactly where I was during the the game in 88. Uh, I would have been eight years old at the time. Uh, At the time, I didn't really have much interest in football. So I was on a sponsored walk for our parish. And I have a very clear memory of our parish priest walking past myself, my brother and my mother uh, holding a little radio up to his ear. And he just looked at us and winked and said, Ireland are one up. And I had no idea what he was talking about. All right, uh, yeah, I didn't really get into following the national side until the qualifiers for the World Cup, um, and like my first real memory uh, of watching the team was the last qualifier for Italian '90, it was against Malta. I probably did watch games before that, but that's probably my first real memory of of watching the team. It was a great time, I think, to get into Irish international football because qualified for the world cup it was our first time at the world cup the country pretty much shut down for about a week and a half uh while the group games were going on yeah. like everyone you know my generation they can tell you exactly where they were uh for each game everyone i know went out on the streets and started taking penalties after <laughs> we beat romania on penalties in the second round and there was nearly a national day of mourning after italy knocked us out and then the, the homecoming, you know, the numbers vary, but some people would say it was five hundred thousand were there to greet the team. Some people would say like in total it was up to a million. Wow. Um, but it the, the scenes at that for, for the homecoming of the team from Italy ninety were, uh, were were like nothing I'd seen at the time and nothing really since to be honest.
1: No. I mean it I think it's fair to say these last few years haven't been so successful uh for you guys. You didn't qualify for uh, Euro twenty twenty uh, or twenty twenty one, whatever you want to refer to it, and the I guess the Nations League hasn't really gone to plan either recently. No, has we're
2: it? one of a select group of countries that haven't won a game in the Nations League. Yes, we didn't beat uh, any of either of Wales or Denmark in the the previous iteration of the the tournament, and we're still struggling to get results against Finland and Wales and Bulgaria in the in the current league a lot of it i think can be put down to a new manager and a new st- he's trying to introduce a new style of play but we're struggling we're, we're if you watch the team we are i think we're genuinely playing good football but we just can't score at Five. all our only goal under the new manager stephen kenny uh was a header from a corner in the last minute away to bulgaria uh from shane duffy and the build-up to the game was all about what difference the new manager and the new management team um, would have on the side of play. When we went one one down, I think the reaction was, "All right, look, it's the new manager; it's his first time in charge." You know, a couple uh, the, the players hadn't gone through a full preseason, but there was still kind of a defeatist attitude to it. And then you know, the, the goal came in the last minute with a, a header from a corner. And it was kind of a reaction as okay, look, maybe we can, we can still mix it up. And that's, that's the kind of goal that we might have scored under previous managers. And we can still do that. But we haven't scored since then. And we're currently on our longest goalless streak uh, since uh, Mick McCarthy took over the first time around in really? 1996. Um, and if we fail to score against England, uh, it'll, it'll be our longest uh, goalless streak. And I think that's a real possibility. Well, I guess there'll be, be the incentive,
1: though, to score against England there for you, just to break that break that duck then.
2: Yeah, look, there's always incentives uh, for Irish yeah. players to score against England. I think yeah. if, it's, if you can't get yourself up for a game against the old enemy, then you're probably in the wrong line of work.
1: I mean, is, is that how Irish supporters see England as as the old enemy?
2: A little bit, yeah. There's an interview with Daryl Breen, but he's asked that question. And obviously, like, Daryl Breen lives in London, you know, he works for the BBC and, yeah. and various other comedy channels. He still sees Eng- the English national team as, th- as the the old enemy. And he's like, why, why why do you have this opinion? So it's like, you know, England and Germany or England and Argentina. Like, all teams have their rivals. You must, The opposition mightn't see you as your rival, but you all will always see them as the rival. It's an interesting debate that maybe we don't have time for mm. here because... A lot of English clubs would have uh, quite large fan bases in Ireland. especially United, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal, Everton, even Crystal Palace. But when it comes to the national side, that's all gone by the wayside, and yeah. uh, it's 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 England. Yeah, I mean, looking through your your latest squad,
1: all the all the players bar one are from English teams, aren't they? It's yeah. only only Jack Byrne from Shamrock Rovers is is the only Irish based player. I mean, I mean, I guess you're pretty much used to it now. But how does it feel to be constantly picking from English leagues rather than say like the League of Ireland?
2: Um, the thing about the League of Ireland is, and even the most hardcore League of Ireland fan would admit this, is that even their best players are still might would be playing at a level bottom of the Championship, upper League One. Um, so you do need to be exceptional at that level to get called up to the national side. And Jack Byrne is probably the best player in the league right now. Uh, he's actually just getting over uh, a bout of COVID. That's why he had to drop out of the, the previous squad. Right. Um, but he was in the academy at Manchester City. Uh, he went on loan to, uh, to, to the Netherlands um, and just didn't really, wasn't able to make the step up to the Manchester City first team and he had a succession of moves that didn't really work out. He was with Blackburn and Oldham and Clamarnock. And he came back to Ireland to play for Shamrock Rovers, which would be his, his local side in, in Dublin, where he's from. And it's he's started to show the talent that he had at Manchester City. And you could see why a club like Manchester City would want to take him on. The talk here is that he, he would probably go back to England in the new year. There's been rumours of of, uh, scouts over from Birmingham and I think Portsmouth as well to take a look at him. And it remains to be seen if he stays in the League of Ireland. I'm a little surprised that Stephen Kenny hasn't called up more players from the League of Ireland for the national side. He was really successful with Dundalk, who played Rapid Vienna last night, and would be really familiar with their squad and and the abilities of the players. Uh, But so far, it's just been Jack Byrne. Let's
1: just sort of bring it, up to well, more up to date um i mean the common ground that we we have between the two nations is that of of jack charlton who sadly passed away it was july of this year english supporters will obviously know what what jack done for the england team but what did jack mean to the people of ireland and, and irish football uh
2: well like if i go back to what i was saying about when i first started to watch the national side it was jack charlton who brought the team from being just kind of feeling like nearly men like they were desperately lucky not to qualify for the, the 82 World Cup. They weren't really at the races when it came to the 86 World Cup and that's when he was brought in to take over uh, in charge of, of the, the senior international team and things just clicked for whatever reason. Some people will say like he got lucky with the players that he brought in and he went on a recruitment drive to find players that qualified for Ireland that might have been overlooked before. But I and mean, he didn't play a very attractive game of football, but it worked for the the players that he had, and we started to get results, and we suddenly started to believe in ourselves a little bit more. You know, beating England in our first game in an international tournament in Stuttgart, there's literally been songs <laughs> written about it. I think we actually played better in the, the next game against Russia, and we only when we drew, and then unfortunately we were beaten by the Dutch in our final group game, and then going to the World Cup in Italy two years later. And, you know, in our first appearance at the tournament is still our best performance at the World Cup. You know, we got to the quarterfinals. So he just made the team believe in itself. And suddenly we felt like we, we could beat anyone. Before that, if you talk to people who were fans of the team, it just felt like we were, you know, we, were, we just weren't good enough. Yeah. And that all went out when he, when he came in. He embraced not just the team, but by the fans as well, and I think they they saw a lot of like the Irish character in him, which is strange to say from a uh, you know a man from Middlesbrough, with as far as I know no Irish connections. But in his his attitudes and his you know no nonsense, this is the way we're doing it, and this is my way. He was awarded an honorary Irish passport, which is a, a rarity, and he had he has a house or he had a house here. And when, yeah, when he died, it was uh, one of those moments, you know, you kind of feel like something part of your childhood has been taken away. Like like I said, I was 10 when we were at uh, Italian 90. And and I was there when he was introduced to the to the fans in front of at Aviva Stadium a few years ago. And I don't think he could believe the reaction he got. And it's just, it was very sad. Yeah. And um, he'll be missed. Yeah. He, really, he is missed. Yeah. There's an upcoming documentary about his time in charge of the national side, and it's 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 a shame that he he won't get to see that. Yeah. Uh, okay,
1: so we've got a few few days before the game. Do you want to hazard a prediction for us? England are
2: going to win, right? Um, England's results at home, you know, they've they've been free scoring. They're I know they're coming off uh, a loss, which to me means they'll just be going all out to avenge that, and we just happen to be the team that's going to be standing in the way if ireland can score i think we'll treat it we'll count it as a win but <laughs> i think it could be something like 3-1 to england by the end of it okay well well thank you very much
1: for your time joe and uh yeah, yeah of course the the podcast is is irish football fans
2: and yeah. are you are you on twitter yeah you can follow me for like live updates for irish players around the world on uh irish underscore abroad on twitter or irish football statistics on facebook that's lovely thank you very much joe and uh yeah take care of yourself You too,
1: man. Once again, I'm pleased to be joined by Belgian football blogger John Chapman from the website belgofoot.be. Hello there, John. Hi, Russell. Good Uh, to talk to you again. Likewise. How
0: are you? You well? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. In these difficult times, about I'm fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're we're all all plodding on together. Um, hopefully we'll we'll be out of it soon. We've spoken to you before about Belgian football. Uh, we spoke to you previously when then the two sides met in the World Cup, but we spoke most recently uh, when we we first met in the Nations League game. Which was played at Wembley, which was a uh, resulted in a two one win for England, which was well, frankly, a little bit of a surprise. I think. How, how was it received in Belgium? Well, I, th- I think
0: the, the most interesting interviews, if you like, were with the Belgian players after the game and then in the next few days. I heard a few of them, and I got the impression that they they felt they'd been robbed, if you like. Right. <laughs> they certainly felt that they were the better team on the night, and. Uh, Whatever went wrong went wrong, and uh,
1: they felt they should have won the game. Yeah, I mean, they it started started quite well for Belgium. Lukaku um, had a had a great game. He, he won the penalty uh, and scored with it as well. Um, but then then England came in and and won a uh, won a dubious penalty themselves, which Marcus Rashford scored, and then Mason Mount had a deflected goal. So it was a game full of full of few few incidents, though.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I remember an interview with Axel Witzel and he was certainly of the opinion, you know, that uh, Belgium should have won that game and were, were probably the better team on the night until they lost it a bit in the second half. Remember also that Kevin De Bruyne uh, almost
1: took himself off, really, didn't he? Yeah, and you'd mentioned that he hadn't been in the in the best frame of mind um, when we previously spoke as well. Yeah, exactly.
0: He, That's the impression I got watching him for City, and he, he seemed to carry that over onto the Belgian team. He was Belgium were missing quite a few players that night, uh, yeah. quite a few first team players, and in the pre match uh, press conference, De Bruyne said, "Well, you can't expect me to." To replace Eden Hazard, Driss Mertens, and and Thorgan Hazard, if you like, I can't replace all of them. You know, just me. And he he seemed to carry that through to the game. Really, yeah. does he? His first t- half was okay, but then he really took himself up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I seem now to remember he had he had quite a conversation with Martinez um, yes. on the side of the pitch, didn't he? So he's obviously Ex- feels like he's exactly, got a lot of weight yeah. on his shoulders.
0: Yeah, he didn't play for City, did he, for a few
1: games after that? But no.
0: There was never any really talk about an injury.
1: No. Well, he is back in the squad um yeah. for the for the next game, which is Sunday, the fifteenth of November. Um and as I've already mentioned earlier on in the podcast, this is going to be originally it was going to be played in Brussels, but now played in in a place called is it Luverne? Is that how it's pronounced?
0: Uh, Louvain is the French pronunciation but it's actually in Flanders and it's Leuven so uh, Leuven's about 15 kilometres from Brussels. It's a small place and it's a small ground. <laughs> so I'm not sure how England will get on in a small ground. I guess with no crowd, it won't make that much difference. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, that's my, my thoughts, really. I mean, whilst there's there's no uh, supporters within the ground, it is just a uh, a green pitch that they're all used to playing on. So it really shouldn't. Yeah. It should be a, a level playing field, as the uh, the cliche goes.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's... <laughs> It's the first time Belgium will be playing uh, at uh, Leuven. They're playing all three games, a friendly with Switzerland and then uh, England and then Denmark. But the under 21s have played there quite regularly. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is a, I mean, you could look at it as a a must win game for both sides, isn't it? Uh, Yes, indeed. Um, I mentioned that. I got the
0: impression, listening to the Belgian players after the England game, that they were felt a bit, you know, as if they were robbed. And I think that will be a big motivation for Belgium this time. Probably a bigger motivation than the actual competition itself, you know. Right. The Nations League, I think it's called. I don't think some of the players, not all of the players, some of the players haven't been treating too seriously, you know. I mean, last time, Batongan and Courtois pulled out and it wasn't obvious that they were, you know, injured, if you know. Mm. But I think, so a big motivation
1: this time, I think, could be the fact that it's England in the opposing half. Okay. I mean, looking at the squad, I mean, a lot of the players are are back in, as you say, Courtois and um, Vertonghen and, and, as we've mentioned, De Bruyne there. It's, it seems like a, a full squad, but I have read that Aiden Hazard has a, a currently has a COVID issue. I don't know if that's going to be a, a problem. Well, he's out. He's out. He's, he, he's out def- of the squad. Um, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's out. Uh, also, Carrasco, uh, Atletico Madrid, is injured, and Timothy Castagna of Leicester City, he's out, and probably Trotsar, Leandro Trotsar of Brighton, he's got a, uh, a muscle strain. They all seem to have muscles and thigh strain. these days. Right? Are,
1: are these all? Oh, since the squad has been announced, because I noticed those some of those names are there. Um,
0: yeah, Carrasco and Castagna were left out because of um, injury. Eden Hazard was named, but then was announced to have a positive COVID test. And Trotsar, Trotsar was named, but it looks now that he's unlikely to join the squad.
1: Right. I see. But he didn't
0: play for Brighton, did he, on Friday night? I think.
1: Oh, I didn't. I didn't pick up on that, to be honest. Uh, but one yeah. player who, yeah, who didn't. Left out, so. uh, one player who didn't make the the previous game between the two, and, and was one that you mentioned was was Thorgan Hazard.
0: Thorgen Hazard's back.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, and there was another player who I noticed on. It was on one of the Belgian Twitter accounts, and you you may have to help me with the pronunciation. But he plays for Club Bruges. Is it Charles de Ketelaere? Show the kettle kettle air, yeah. Oh, nearly, I yeah, nearly it's a got good it.
0: good spot, there. It's a good spot.
1: But what, what's <laughs> could he be a player that um that makes his his debut for the the senior side?
0: Well, I think there's a probably an extremely good chance he's going to play in the friendly against Switzerland, yeah. Um, but I think there's little chance he'll feature against England. Right. I mean, it's the first time he's been called up. He's 19. He plays for Club Bruges. I've heard some very good things about him. I think he's one for the future. He's uh, a creative midfielder, and I think, yeah, he's, he's only played about fifteen times for uh, Club Bruges. Wow! Uh, I think he's worth watching. Okay. maybe I mean- maybe he's you know outside chance for the Euros if Martinez decides to throw in a youngster.
1: Mm. Who knows? That- uh, and one of the things she did mention when we previously spoke was the fact that the Belgian side is is aging a little bit. So to have some of these players, younger players yeah, exactly. coming through is is a positive.
0: That exactly right. Yeah, um, Martinez given his due, he's brought in quite a few young people. It's a big squad again. It's now well, it's down to thirty, I suppose. It's still quite big. So he'll give quite a few of those youngsters a run against Switzerland. Yeah, it's good. Good. Um, there's been a few. Eyebrows raised about Thomas Vermalen being included. Um, okay. he's, he's, he's now playing in Japan, but he's, he, he's hardly played this year. He's 34, 35. And Chadley's been involved, uh, called up again, uh, NASA Chadley. Um, he's 31 and he hasn't played at all. He's now actually playing with uh, in Istanbul um, Bakashir, if I can say that correctly. Another ah, team yes. that beat Manchester United. Ah, yes, yes. He's actually on there, but he joined them in September, but he hasn't actually kicked a ball yet. So okay. It's a bit strange that they've been called
1: up. So Martinez so, is still... Give me his
0: due, Vermarlin has never let Belgium down, Vermarlin.
1: Right. But, but Martinez still has something with these these players he feels he can rely on, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. As, as I said before, you know, there's quite a number now, over 30 or will be over thirty by the time the Euros come around, but uh, Martinez, yeah, he, he backs them. He likes players he knows, you know. Although to be honest, on that point, he's left out uh, Origi uh, from the squad, and there's some talk that um, you know he could now miss out on the Euros. Apparently, he's he's behind uh, Benteki in the pecking order, which is not good. Not good for anybody, really, is
1: it? <laughs> I mean, um, you... <laughs> no, sorry about that. No, no. It was, uh, <laughs> opinions there, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, I, would you expect Belgium to win this game? Yes, I would. I think last time I came
0: on, I said the first game would be a draw, I think, and Belgium would win the second game. So I got the first one wrong. Yeah. But I still think Belgium will win, yeah. They, they're going to have... The team picks itself, really. Apart from Eden Hazard, it's a very strong team. As I, as we said, Thorgan Hazar, Coutinho, the Tongan Mertens are all back, and you could say De Bruyne is back if he's got his head on. You know. Yeah. the The only question mark, I suppose, is is Romelu Lukaku, who's who's missed the last couple of games with Inter, and the 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 talk is he's going to be on the bench today when they play Atalanta in Syria. I think Inter have been in touch with Martinez and said we'd like you to go easy with Lukaku. And the feeling I think at the moment is that he will only play against England. But I don't know, you know, he hasn't got much football in him recently. So no,
1: well, I mean, if he plays, worth watching, you know. Yeah, if he plays like he played against England in that first game, then, then I think there's a high chance that he will play again. It'll just be that match fitness, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess the backup is
1: Baturi. Baturi is the number two at the moment. Right. Okay. Well, it'll be, be an interesting game to watch. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm hoping that England will win, and then it'll come down to the. I guess let see what Denmark do against Iceland. Um, and then I think. Yeah. Uh, and then Belgium will play Denmark at home after that. Well, yeah, and Leuven again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, interesting international a uh, window coming up that this particular group can go down right to the wire yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to the game
0: it should be a good one i think
1: yeah no it's, it should be a good right it's sunday the 15th of november it's in i say in in leuven Did I say that right again leuven leuven <laughs> <laughs> uh, my yeah my flemish needs to be uh need to work on my flemish uh john thank you very much for your time we can find you on twitter can't we at Belgofoot. yes exactly yeah Lovely. Thank you very okay. much. Cheers, John. All Thank you. Best. Bye. Now, I'd like to say I'm joined again by Mark Bowl from the Twitter account Icelandic Football in the UK. Now, I think this is a first for the Freelance podcast. Mark, hello there. Hello. Say it's a first because you are at sea, aren't you?
3: Yes, yes, uh, I'm out in the North Sea just now.
1: What, what are you doing out there, just so we know? Uh, it's
3: just my job. Uh, I work two weeks on, two weeks off on the ferry boat. So I'm out in the North Sea just now. I've still
1: got a week to go left of my, my trip. We'll, we'll keep it sort of short and sweet because obviously the connection isn't that good. But you, mm-hmm. you look at Icelandic football and obviously... England versus Iceland is the last game in this Nations League uh, qualification. Iceland against England was the first one. What, what was the reaction um, from the Icelandic per- perspective from that first game?
3: Uh, I think I was surprised. Uh, I think the whole country was surprised that uh, Iceland performed very well. It was it had so many players missing. And a lot of the guys who were brought in were basically backup and reserve players for the national team. They kind of held England pretty well. They stopped, nullified the main attacking threats. Obviously, when you get the players sent off, it kind of eased the game a bit for Iceland. They were struggling a wee bit uh, up until that point. But I think they held their own quite well. Everybody knew they were just going to hit in a counter-attack. And that's basically the way they play. So they set up that quite well.
1: Yeah. I mean, England obviously won it in with almost the last kick of the game—the uh, the penalty by Raheem Sterling. But Iceland had their chance thirty seconds later, didn't they?
3: Yeah, I don't know what it is with Iceland and penalties just now. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the Euros and the, the World Cup there; they've missed a
1: few penalties as well. I mean, obviously, Iceland are going to be relegated from this top tier of the Nations League. Do you think it's benefited them? And and do you think the second tier will be their, their current natural level? Yes, definitely,
3: without a shadow of doubt. Uh, it was a bridge too far for them uh, playing in the, the top level of the Nations League. They're just they're not good enough for it. They know it themselves. And that's obviously just with... You get these things with uh, going to World Cups, World Major tournaments, your coefficient is up and then
1: you get put into these groups which is not realistically where you should be. I and mean, by the looks of it, you whilst you're out of the North Sea, have you visited Iceland since we last spoke?
3: Uh, I was meant to go over um, a few weeks ago, into that. I was meant to go over, but they obviously get cancelled because of the, the COVID restrictions and quarantine rules. Email from my uh, Play company and saying everything was cancelled, which I thought it would have been anyway. So mm. so hopefully I'll get over at some point next year once the, the pandemic eases. Yeah. Hopefully, if we
1: get a vaccine in time. Let's hope so. I mean, were you aware that there was an England supporter that actually went to the game like, isolated for for 10 days? Yeah,
3: i seen seen that. Uh, I think it was on Sky News. Uh, and they'd made the headlines in uh, Iceland as well. There was oh. a few... The newspapers and media outlets had obviously contacted them to find out what was going on. And yeah, I think see, seen I think get interviewed with Sky before the match, I think.
1: Yeah.
3: No, great, great story. Hard, yeah, hardcore, right? Enough to go all the way over there to watch a game from beside yeah. the, the ground. Yeah, I think it would have been more if the quarantine rules weren't as
1: harsh at the time, quite honest. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, yeah, so we hats off to Chad Thomas. Yeah, we, we spoke to him a while back. Um, obviously, with the the pandemic, I'm guessing you've you've had a bit more time on your hands, and and you are working on on an Icelandic football book, sixty four degrees north. How's how's that coming along? Uh, I'm in the final stages
3: of putting it together now. Uh, the Icelandic season get called early in the thirtieth October. They were struggling to kind of fit games in there. The FA had give a, gave a deadline of finishing it by the 1st of December and it was basically impossible to fit games in where international games been on as well and obviously the weather and there was just so many problems over there. A lot of foreign players had went home and they, they had to call it because it was just, they couldn't play it anymore. But uh, the books coming on fine actually, the book had went on a wee bit longer because the season usually finishes earlier. But obviously, it's been a strange season for everyone. Yeah. But uh, I'm nearly there. Uh, I'm hoping to get it out for publishing in mid January. I'm just filling up the blank spaces just now. Uh, I got some stuff sent to me last night, some rare photos from a small club in the east of Iceland, in Hergi, I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> just finishing, finishing up just now, and I'll do the full edit, and then we'll get it on pre sale in uh, December.
1: Oh, good. Well, well, keep us in the loop on that one. And lastly, I've seen the squad for the Iceland team. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I've, I've lost my original squad from the from the previous game. I mean, is there any particular player again that we should look out for? And and what, what do you expect from the game at Wembley? I wouldn't expect much
3: for the game at Wembley. The match against Hungary uh, on the 12th is that's all I care about in Iceland just now. And it could have huge, huge implications for Icelandic football for years to come if they don't qualify. Top two divisions in Iceland have lost something in the region of £2 million just in the last, over the summer They're sorry. With no fans being allowed into the grounds. So it's a lot of revenue. And if Iceland don't get to the Euros, eh, it's even more revenue they're going to lose because the FA pump a lot of money back into the clubs. So a lot of that money gets invested back into the the domestic football in Iceland. So there could be big problems. But uh, one one player that's making serious headlines just now is a boy out in uh, North Shopping, Isaac Bergman Johansson. Uh, Liverpool, Man United, Atletico Madrid and Juventus are watching this player just now. He's only 17. And here's one of the, the big things for England fans is he could possibly play for England. He was born in Sutton Cofield. Oh, right. So he could have dual nationality, but he's the, the next biggest thing. The media quite surprised that he never actually get brought in a call-up to the squad for the upcoming games. This boy is that good. And Brentford have just signed a, another rising star, Valgair Valgerson. He's only 18 years old. He's playing for their uh, E teams now, but I think... Brentford will get the first tabs on him. He's on loan for a year. They'll get the first tabs on him if they decide to sign him. But he scored four goals and one assist in his first two games. So there's a lot of youth coming through now. You've obviously got Runner Alex, who signed for Arsenal as well, and uh, Arnold Sigurdsson, but I mentioned before at CSK in Moscow. I think he'll he'll be in one of the top five weeks in Europe in the next year or two. I'd imagine as well. He's Doing very well there. They've got an aging squad just now. Iceland, as I said before, and uh, Eric Cameron's just sticking with the aging group who have got the experience. But the hungry game is the the vital game. I'm not sure how they'll set up for the England game or the Denmark game. I think they'll probably just use the squad, and players might actually get taken out the squad after the the hungry game to go back to their clubs. So I don't know how it's going to work. Everything's changing just now over the situation. Yeah.
1: Oh, it'll be an interesting interesting aspect. They may they may come off the the Hungry game on a high um and go into that Denmark game and, and do England a favour.
3: Yeah, possibly. I mean uh, as you know, Denmark's Iceland's rivals with they uh, obviously used to own the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there there is they don't like each other to be quite honest. They like <laughs> to do their stuff on the football part and beat, beat each other. Obviously, Denmark are the rulers and Iceland, what, he beat them. After the 3-0 game, after the England game, when Iceland played Denmark, it was a pretty low-key game and just, I, Iceland just didn't seem to be playing. Well. Denmark looked very good for their money right enough, I must admit. It could be a hit or a miss. I just, I, I don't know what's going through the manager's mind just now. I don't think he even knows either because he could lose a lot of players after, as I say, they've got an aging squad and to play two games two consecutive games in a short space of time, it's too much for many of them now. Yeah. But it's, they can't do it. And Ragnar and, Sigurdsson, uh, he's coming up towards his 100th cap now. He's not far from that, so he, he might want to play Yeah, <laughs> to try and try and get to the 100 caps. I Just now, 97, 98 caps just now. I don't know how that's going to work, pan out, but hopefully they'll give Denmark a game anyway because there is still your coefficient, you still want to keep your coefficient at some point kind of decent level. So we'll wait and see how it goes. But I think England, I think England will have far too much.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it may even come down to the game being a dead, way, well, maybe a dead rubber or it may be a case of England need to win against Iceland. So there may still be quite a bit riding on it. Yeah, there could be.
3: Yes, that's true. Yeah. As I say, it depends how the other results go in the group. I mean, Iceland know themselves now that they're, they're not capable of performing at that level. I mean, obviously, you've got your international games and they have got your full squads, but it's just everything just now across the world is kind of up in the air. And there's quite a lot of players catching COVID now and they're going in international games. Yeah. So I'd probably expect to see clubs not releasing players as much. I really can't see them wanting them out playing meaningless nation league games if it's dead rubbers or whatever. Yeah. chance that they may catch COVID or get injured or whatever.
1: Yeah, very true. It's yeah. an
3: interesting time ahead that I mean, international football seems to be losing its appeal just now. by The pandemic, as you know, it's going on. People are interested in just a club game, which is a shame. I think an international level football is kind of changing a bit more.
1: We need to see how things are going to work. Mark, I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there because the line it keeps going hit and miss. But um, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you very much for your time. You're on Twitter, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is. Uh, at Mark Bowl, we'll link to that, but you can search Icelandic Football UK. Um, yeah, once again, thank you very much for your time and, and stay in touch. Yeah, no problem. All the best. Thanks to Joseph, John, and Mark there for their insights into Ireland, Belgium, and Iceland. Apologies for the quality of the line to Mark, but as I mentioned, he was at sea, so I'm thankful that he was even able to hook up with me. I hope it didn't spoil it too much for you. All those guys are on Twitter, and I'll link to them on our own social media. One thing, just before we move on, regarding the Iceland game, and at the time of recording this, nothing has actually been confirmed But there is the possible issue arising over the fact that Iceland will be travelling to England from Denmark, because that's where they play whilst we are in Belgium. Now, the UK government have stopped anyone other than British nationals coming into the country from Denmark. And that's all to do with the latest strain of coronavirus related to mink. You know, those little rodent ferret things Uh, that has apparently exploded in Denmark at the moment, it's all in UEFA's hands and talk of the Denmark Iceland game just being played at a neutral venue, so Iceland can then continue to then play England. It's just bizarre. Never did I think I'd be talking about mink on this podcast. Uh, so that's one to, yeah, watch this space on that one. Now it's not just the senior men who are in action, the under 21s, well, they are also playing. They have two home matches in their UEFA under-21 Euro qualifying campaign. Now, they did actually qualify for the tournament last month with victory over Turkey. But Eddie Boothroyd's boys will be playing Andorra and Albania on the 13th and 17th of November. Both are being played at Wolves and both are behind closed, <laughs> closed doors. Don't know why I feel the need to mention that, but, you know, just in case you're wondering. Uh, both are on BT Sport as well, so we get to watch it. Now the under-20s, the 19s and the 18s are all having get-togethers or training camps as they're officially known but with no games being played. And later in the month the Lionesses will be getting together ahead of their friendly against Norway, scheduled to be played on the 1st of December at Bramall Lane, Sheffield. Hopefully they'll get a game this time, as you may remember their friendly away to Germany got pulled due to a positive Covid test within the camp. And there you go. That's about it for this episode. I long for the day when I can say, safe journey if you're travelling to one or any of the games, or perhaps I'd see you there as I used to. Or this could have been your in-flight entertainment, or train, probably more so in this instance. My refund with Eurostar is still pending as we speak. Let's hope the next preview podcast will be more of a positive nature. But until then, look after yourselves, stay safe, try to stay positive in lockdown. Drop me a line if you want, happy to say hi. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, just search Three Lines Podcast. And you can find previous episodes on the likes of YouTube, Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes, all the usual places. And I hope you can join me for the review episode coming once all these games have been played. Hopefully, we'll be celebrating a Nations League final spot. But before then, I've got an interview with Sky Sports' John Driscoll coming soon. He's talking about his new book that features many England players from the past. I hope you can join me for that one. Cheers!